Viva Las Vegas, the 1964 film. It portrays a certain image Vegas has created for itself. It's this place outside of time, a place where you can really live, a place where the party is never ending. In the opening scene, man, it's incredible. Flyover shots of the old Las Vegas Strip, then a slow roll from what feels like the point of view of the bumper of a convertible cruising on a dark night. Neon lights flashing, bright bulbs buzzing and pulsating. Beyond the Strip, nothing but pitch black. Like beyond the bright lights, there's nothing out there. All set to the song, Viva Las Vegas. We've heard a thousand times the percussive, dancing number like a sports car engine revving down the strip. It almost sounds like the images it portrays in the opening sequence. Viva Las Vegas! The movie stars Anne Margaret and Elvis Presley. It's a romantic musical romp set in Vegas on the stage of the Tropicana, around the pool of the Flamingo Hotel, and on the barren and dusty outskirts of town. Margaret and Presley began their real-life affair while filming Viva Las Vegas. In the film, Elvis plays Lucky Jackson, an aspiring race car driver who falls for a swimming instructor, Rusty Martin, played by Anne Margaret. Who named these people? (laughs) Lucky Jackson? Rusty Martin? Anyway... Jackson unsurprisingly wins the Vegas Grand Prix and her heart. In the final scene, Elvis and Anne stand in front of a wood-framed chapel, happily married, running out into the street as the credits roll. It happens so fast, you can easily miss it. Send me a card, Jim. Can I miss you? Right, partner. Take good care. The Little Church of the West, which is honestly like the most adorable church I've ever seen, is the name of the chapel where they got married. And now it's the oldest building on the Strip. It was built in 1942 to replicate a pioneer church, the kind you might have seen in the Las Vegas Valley when the town was full of prospectors, railroad workers, and Mormon settlers. And think about this. Today, at that same church, you can get married by Elvis. Not the Elvis, but a close second. In fact, some call Las Vegas the capital of fast love. That's the reputation that helped birth the Las Vegas Strip so glamorously portrayed in the film. How exactly did Las Vegas become notorious for quickie weddings? And what does it tell us about what Las Vegas would become? I'll give you a hint. It started with something as universal as marriage. Divorce. And today, we're going to explore how the quickie wedding and divorce helped shape the Las Vegas Strip, how it revolutionized marriage, and in the process launched a $2 billion industry. I'm Brent Holmes, and you're listening to Spectacle Las Vegas. Bill McGee was a real cowboy from Montana. 6'4", wore spurs, a round white hat, and a black pearl snap shirt with a few buttons open. He was a tough man. He didn't suffer fools. That's Bill's widow, Sandra McGee. He passed away a couple years ago. In the 1940s, Bill was head of the Flying Emmy Ranch, which was a kind of desert resort. During the day, he had normal housekeeping tasks like cleaning up or taking the trash into town. But he also entertained the guests took him on horseback rides or out to the bars in town. 
The ranch was located just south of Reno. It's about a seven-hour drive from Vegas, give or take. It was a place where wealthy people from back east could come to stay. But the guests paid for their room and their board and um, extras like horseback riding and telephone calls and cigarettes and things like that. At its heyday, the ranch hosted a star-studded cast of guests. Well, Clark Gable, Ava Gardner, and Rita Hayworth all had several divorces each, but they came to the Flying M.E. for a break from Hollywood. Bill and Sandra spent decades researching places like the Flying M.E., even wrote a book together, for one reason in particular. I mean, sure, it was a hideaway for rich people to be served hand and foot, but let's be real, so is the Hamptons. What made M.E. Ranch unique is that it was a vacation spot for more than just celebrities and socialites. It was also a place to go if you wanted a divorce. It was almost impossible to get a divorce in other states at the time. It was like Airbnb for hopeful divorcees, only with cowboys like Bill running the ranch, while Ava Gardner puffed cigs and drank dirty martinis. If you can picture the cowboys and the eastern ladies and, you know, the two stratas are meeting. It was a very interesting time. 1931 was like the 2020 of the last century. The country, the state of Nevada, Vegas, was going through a lot of the same things we are now. In particular, the country was in the throes of the Depression. And for some businessmen and politicians in the state, divorce became a solution to their financial woes. If we made divorce easier, and if we legalized gambling, maybe people would come here and they'd spend their money and it would help us through the Depression. Stay in Nevada for six weeks? Ding, ding, ding! You, my friend, are now eligible to file for divorce. What Nevada did without intending to is changed divorce in America. A huge sociological, you know, difference. Um, I mean, today, you can be at your laptop in the middle of the night in your pajamas and you can start a filing for a divorce. Before that? You needed proof of bad behavior, infidelity, even an STD test. That's why all those movies from the 30s show private eyes taking photos of people cheating on their spouses. Divorce ranches like the Flying M.E. were a place people could go to hide out before legally filing for divorce. But they were also a bit of a scene. The handsome ranch hands like Bill were especially helpful to their celebrity guests. Before Bill met Sandra, he had all sorts of flings with the guests. The Emmy Ranch would soon get the nickname Lay Me Easy Ranch because of its ahem, services, all implications intended. A lot of them met someone, and after their six weeks was up, they did not go back to wherever their home was. Wealthy socialites stealing out west to get divorced only to wind up marrying plaid-shirted gambling cowboys? It was something out of a Willie Nelson song. The divorcees themselves and most of these divorce ranches were active near and around Reno, which was a much larger city at the time. Aspiring divorcees were flooding into the state to untie the knot, but they weren't going to Vegas. That is, until one very famous couple's marriage began to unravel. Rhea and her husband, Clark Gable. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. You know. 
the guy from Gone with the Wind, like the Brad Pitt of the era. This was a Benefer-level breakup. Everyone was watching. Rhea decided to spend her six weeks in Las Vegas, which was highly publicized. After that, Vegas quickly began to attract unhappy spouses from all over the country, and it reinforced the image of Vegas as a destination for Hollywood celebrities, given that it was also much closer to Los Angeles than Reno. They eventually called Fremont Street the Strip, in a tongue-in-cheek nod to the Sunset Strip, which only reinforced Vegas as a place where entertainers might go to be entertained. Over time, Vegas would become the capital for divorce and commerce in the state, but it would also become the capital for something else, weddings. And the industry that would build up around weddings, plus Vegas's anything-goes attitude, created something unseen anywhere else in the world. The sometimes bizarre, always campy, and totally unique world of the Vegas wedding. More on that next. This is Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. I'm Steve Taylor, your host to a horror anthology podcast where we ask you to depart from your safe perception of reality to descend with us into the frightening depths and dark corners of twisted imaginations. With carefully curated original tales of terror each week, our deepest rooted fears are brought to the forefront by a diverse cast of voice talent and masterfully eerie sound design that bring these stories to life. We'll give you tales of unnerving encounters with the occult, harrowing hauntings, and sinister seances that show just how darkness knows no bounds. Make sure to check out Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The Seven from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The Seven every weekday. So follow The Seven right now. The best way to describe Fremont Street, what's known as the Old Strip, is that it's a lot. Like, a lot, a lot. Uh, Yeah, it's a lot. To describe Fremont Street is quite the task because it's an overload of information sensory-wise. Smells good and bad, a lot of lights. That's Tierney Finster. She's a writer and artist. She writes about how quickie weddings and the Strip are deeply connected. She says that compared with what the modern strip is today, with its mega casinos and sphinx replicas, Fremont Street is kind of an anti-strip. Fremont Street to me is like, we aren't going to Vegas for the gram. Fremont Street is kind of the drink as much as you can, um, get those large colorful cocktails to sip as you walk down. It's like Times Square, she says, or Hollywood Boulevard, which to her is a good thing. You have to kind of love trash, you know, to love Fremont Street. 
These days, up and down the old strip, there are chapels where you can get married in the blink of an eye. Vegas is probably the wedding capital of the United States, at least the quickie wedding capital. Vegas began to build a reputation by the late 30s and 40s as a place where institutional restraints and rules were being lifted. You could get a quickie divorce. You could gamble. You also might bump into a celebrity or two. And by the 40s, Clark County, where Vegas is, it actually had a marriage license bureau installed right in the train depot. And eventually, Clark County began keeping its county clerk's office open 24 hours a day. Vegas, she says, offered something no other place in the world could offer, something it leans into all the way up to today. Vegas caters to the wedding industry in a way of like, offering efficient, cheap, easy marriage um, in a way that other cities don't. And there's also the kitsch element that's developed over the years. There's just such a variety. People can go to Vegas with the most intentional, elaborate, elegant wedding concepts. There's also the last minute impulse wedding, which has become notorious too discovering your interest in marriage after a few cocktails on Fremont Street and being exposed to so many chapels around you that make it such a quick and easy decision in a way that it often isn't outside of Vegas. In a way, she says, Vegas turned marriage into a guilty pleasure. Las Vegas continues to infuse marriage with the spirit of glamour, impulsivity, vice, I think because of just the cultural history of marrying in Vegas at this point, through film and television or anecdotal stories, we all have this awareness of consuming a wedding in Vegas, whether we're spectators of an unexpected wedding or a stranger's wedding. You often will find that kind of like free camaraderie on Fremont Street and surrounding chapels. Or if you're actually choosing to marry yourself, You can actually marry yourself, but that's something we'll get to later. It doesn't have to be on someone's bucket list to marry in Vegas for it to begin to sound perhaps like a good idea once you're there. An idea. Something as significant as an impulse vacation or a last-minute trip to the movies. It's kind of amazing how much commerce or capitalism informs marriage here now. In Vegas, how and who or by whom you are married are as plentiful as the buffet options at your favorite casino. Next, we'll hear about a couple for whom the camp and kitsch of a Las Vegas ceremony was exactly what they wanted. There is something about stories of love where really anything goes. You could snort coca-cha-cha off of an Elvis impersonator's belly and somebody else could be vomiting in the corner, but if it happened at a wedding, we're happy to talk about it. Alex Strauss is a trend in pop culture journalist and writer and a frequent contributor to the New York Times. I think what's fascinating about this topic is that no matter what, it's like diapers and toothpaste. People are always going to be interested in it. For whatever reason, those questions always come up. How did you get engaged? Let me see the ring. Can you tell me about the wedding? People love to hear love stories. Alex writes about love stories for the New York Times, which led her in 2020 to Sonny and Luke. Luke 
is a Hollywood filmmaker. He went out for drinks on a Friday night in L.A. He stopped at a cocktail bar on the Sunset Strip called The Well. Sonny, a divorce lawyer from Chicago, walks in. They had really resigned themselves to finding their perfect mate. They were both decidedly single before they met. But Luke says when he saw Sonny walk in, she took his breath away. He just made a beeline for her. And he introduced himself and they started talking. Luke knew his dream girl was standing in front of him. He told her that first night he wanted to marry her. I mean, that's wild. Is this a rom-com? And she's like, oh yeah, sure. But they exchanged numbers. That night he texted the same thing. I'm going to marry you. Sonny responded, prove it. The next morning, they got together for breakfast. I don't think either of them had slept much uh, separately, of course, but I think they were both had long nights. Luke lived in L.A., Sonny in Chicago. But that didn't matter. They made it work. Six days later, Luke flew to Chicago to meet Sonny for a romantic weekend. They're really perfect for each other. Things moved quickly after that. They traveled to see each other every weekend that next month, met each other's parents, flew across country, even internationally, finally culminating with a proposal in Joshua Tree. They knew they were each other's soulmate. And then the Vegas thing was just icing on the cake. Luke and Sonny exchanged their wedding vows at the Viva Las Vegas Chapel. Their officiant, Elvis. Well, pretend Elvis, which I mean is still very cool. 20 mass guests were in attendance. It had only been several months since the pandemic started, but despite the circumstances, they really did up the camp of it all. A prince impersonator performed their aisle walk. And... At the end of the ceremony, they made an exit while being crooned to by Cher. I mean, a Cher lookalike. A ceremony chock full of campy silliness works for Sonny and Luke. They were inviting people to have fun, not take themselves seriously. The bride and groom were in on the joke. If one of them didn't want the Vegas wedding and the other one did, it's not, it's not going to come together. But they were both on the same page. And they both are on this love ride. It's important to remember, too, that these weddings, even though they're designed to play into this impulsive spur-of-the-moment vibe, are very well-planned and executed. The wedding industrial complex is in full effect in Las Vegas today. There's a lot of it that's deep in marketing and making sure that you have a certain cake and that there's photos and a CD before you leave and streaming and... You know, everything is is really well thought out and well packaged. And Vegas remains an attraction to everyday folks like Sonny and Luke, but also to celebrities. The list of famous Vegas marriages has gotten ridiculously long. Mia Farrow and Frank Sinatra, Bruce Willis and Demi Moore, Billy Bob Thornton and Angelina Jolie, Joe Jonas and Sophie Turner, Britney Spears and Jason Alexander, David Harbour and Lily Allen. The list goes on and on. Half of those people I named are divorced now. About 70,000 people get married in Vegas each year. And it's gotten kind of wild. You can get married to anyone or even anything now. There's Star Wars weddings, Taco Bell weddings, weed weddings. Like, all that was missing from my wedding was a bong rip. What's the appeal? Why are we so attracted to these goofy weddings? I asked Alex what she thought about that. I think that the people who want to push the boundaries or want something different, aren't seeing it as goofy as they are seeing it as an experience. And I think there's a generation that are experience forward. It's kind of baffling how we got here. How did we get here? No surprise, it starts with Elvis. 
If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters, and why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat, available now. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We're a new show breaking down the anime and pop culture news you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) And we agree on some things, but not on everything. Oof. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. Listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Heidi Ryder is a lot of things. An artist, a maker, a clown in a show at Caesars Palace. But I am also... Uh, a wedding officiant with the Sherthing Chapel in Las Vegas, where I perform as a female Elvis impersonator. Some years back, Heidi met the owners of what she calls a little mobile elopement business. The owner saw an opportunity to build a new kind of wedding business in Las Vegas, one that provides a more female-centered perspective. Gender play? It feels very Las Vegas to me. She had the chance to perform a wedding as Elvis. She welcomed the opportunity. We're finding different ways to really honor the essence and the, and the magic and mastery of the king. When Elvis died in 1977, a chapel he'd visited briefly before his wedding to Priscilla at the Aladdin Casino changed their name to the Graceland Wedding Chapel and became the first chapel dedicated to Elvis. I think there's just something that he left behind in his showmanship. It's like this energy that continues to exist in a very powerful way. Maybe this is like a little bit like woo-woo or something, but somehow to me, that energy is still reverberating here. 45 years later, the tradition takes on new forms and meaning. Heidi is a perfect example of that. The king is entered the chapel. Uh, we've gathered here today to, uh, celebrate the marriage of this cheeseburger to this taco. <laughs> oh, mm, yeah, I'm all shook up. Mm, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm all shook up. Now you can get married by Elvis at nearly every chapel. The whole thing just kind of took off. You could say it got all shook up. With this bling. I promise all my love, baby. I promise all my life. And I promise to never leave you at the Heartbreak Hotel. And I promise to never leave you at any hotel. And those are, those are kind of some of the vows uh, that Elvis would do during the service. <laughs> That's Michael Kelly, the owner of the Little Las Vegas Chapel. The chapel performs Elvis weddings, but other types of weddings too. I don't know if you 
guys remember the uh, the man that married the cell phone? That happened here as well. Yeah. I told y'all this marriage thing in Vegas can get weird. This man calls up Michael. He says he wants to marry his cell phone. We just say, sure. Yeah, let's go ahead and, and, and do it, and, and uh, we'll see what happens. He said he was doing it as a social experiment. I mean, okay, bro, I believe you. Because uh, people basically seem like they were married to their cell phone. And weird as it sounds, at a Vegas chapel, eh, it's Tuesday. And so, yeah, so he ends up marrying his cell phone, and he's pronounced man and cell phone. Through high and low battery, with a new OS and with old. I take the cell phone forever or until next upgrade. I asked Michael if he could tell me anything about the bride. It was an iPhone. I don't remember which one, but it was, it was an iPhone. I don't remember which, which model. Something that might surprise you, though, is that there are non-traditional ways that people choose a chapel to participate in a vow ceremony that aren't just kitschy fun. Sometimes it's a way to enter a new chapter in your life. We've done a few um, s- solo ceremonies where, let's say, uh, uh, one part of the couple was getting out of, let's say, either a destructive relationship or they were, they were searching for themselves. So they did a ceremony just by themselves, and uh, they actually turned out to be really nice. Vegas always adapts to the needs of the culture. The needs of commerce. And out here on Fremont Street, the chapel capital of Clark County is open for business. And the traditions of marriage are changing. Little Church of the West, where Elvis and Ann Margaret came tumbling out of in Viva Las Vegas, Tierney Finster says it hits different now. Personally, I love the chapels that are so, you know, outfitted with twinkling pink lights and cupids and hearts and all of these really... Um, arguably tacky or quintessentially classic romantic icons. Um, So yeah, the Little Church of the West is still there from 1942. And inside, it kind of looks like 1942. My producer Joanna says it reminded her of the inside of a tinderbox. In regards to that interior design, it's notable that it was one of the first chapels that was designed specifically for its purpose because of how quickly marriage became a hot industry in Las Vegas. And even if Vegas weddings, like, I don't know, move to the metaverse in the future, Vegas, I imagine, will always be dripping with nostalgia. And our icons, our loves, they will change too. I think people probably do choose the Little Church of the West as their uh, wedding destination because of all the history in movies like Viva Las Vegas. But in 2022, I'll be curious, will Viva Las Vegas be important to the next generations? Like, you know, something like the Little White Chapel, I believe, is where Britney Spears got married. Um, I could see chapels like that becoming the new and kind of updated touchstones of what we consider old Vegas, you know, now. Vegas is ever renewing itself, always leaves a little glittery tale of nostalgia behind. This city seized an opportunity. It brought us Elvis weddings, share impersonators, and Taco Bell ceremonies, and left an indelible mark on American culture. But around the same time, another industry would be born that has defined Las Vegas, even made it infamous. A group of notorious criminal families who were seeking the chance to operate for the first time out in the open. They're constantly of two 
faces, right? Their public face is that they are very giving uh, type of folks and very empathetic to those kind of things. On the other hand, there's the other side of them where they're ruthless killers and they'll rob you blind just as soon as they would do anything else. Next time on Spectacle, we explore how the Vegas mob has been portrayed in popular culture and how that depiction of organized crime says a lot about Las Vegas and us. And along with making us legit comes cash. Tons of it. I mean, what do you think we're doing out here in the middle of the desert? It's all this money. Spectacle Las Vegas is a production of Neon Hum Media. The show is hosted by yours truly. Executive producer Jonathan Hirsch wrote this episode. It was produced by Navani Otero and Tanner Robbins. Spectacle's senior producer is Joanna Clay. Our associate editor is Stephanie Serrano. Samantha Allison is our production manager. Our engineer is Scott Somerville. Original music by Hans Dale Sue. And special thanks to Vikram Patel, Shara Morris, Odelia Rubin, Chloe Chobel, and Catherine St. Louis. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at spectacle underscore pod. I'm Brent Holmes. Y'all come back now, you hear? This episode of Spectacle is brought to you from the inside of your iPhone, which is also your spouse.